coming up on Stu Does America. Dan King joins us to tell us the one thing he really wants from the Biden administration. I wouldn't hold your breath, Dan. And the gift-wrapped turd of immigration that Joe Biden handed off to his Veep is really starting to get smelly. Can Kamala turn crap into gold and fix our border? Please, your best. Thank you so much for tuning in and watching this show completely free. If you want to keep the party going, head over to uh, my Instagram page and follow me, Stu Does America. You'll get exclusive content, episode reminders, and a whole lot more. Plus, the link in the bio will take you to all the platforms where you can watch and listen to this show absolutely free. Or become a member of the Blaze TV family. Just head to blazetv.com slash stew and enter the promo code stew because that's how they know. You like this stupid show and you'll save 10 bucks. The mainstream media has been going hog wild on all of these racist voter suppression measures being passed by filthy Republicans all around the country. And as is their way, the mainstream media is completely wrong. So let's set them straight and do voter suppression. Stu does America. Seems like there's only like two positions to take these days. Um, either you believe the sort of Sidney Powell uh, Dominion voting system conspiracy theory. At this point, something that she even says no rational person could have possibly believed. I did not believe that. Uh, and I've told you that since the beginning. Or you have to be the crazy left person who goes so far and any sort of measure to uh, make sure an election is, I don't know, somewhat secure, that's terrible. It's racism. It's violence. And I'm not kidding you. This is the headline. This is Rolling Stone today. Voter suppression is violence. Georgia's barbaric new restrictions not only ban giving food and water to voters in line, but also build upon the Trump election lies that have already cost lives. So let's look at what kind of violence we're talking about. ABC News has uh, done an article. They're breaking down the bill piece by piece by piece by piece. And I will say this, a quick warning for you. Voter suppression is violence. So this is extremely violent content. What would this bill really do? Quote, the bill would expand early voting for primary and general elections, but not for runoffs. Wow. Expanding voting and pr for primary and general elections. I will tell you, that's violence. OK, remember, adding early voting on for two elections, but keeping it the same for the third kind of election, is clear, violent voter suppression. How about early voting on weekends? Quote, for primaries and general elections, counties would be required to have advanced voting on both Saturdays and have the option to do it on the two Sundays that fall in the three-week period, too. Current law only mandates one Saturday of early voting. So Georgia went from one Saturday of early voting to two Saturdays and also expanded it to two optional Sundays. That's violence. Remember, going from one day of weekend voting to two and as many as four is violent voter suppression. How about those ballot drop boxes? Quote, secure ballot drop boxes are not explicitly sanctioned under current state law, and this bill would change that. But it would also implement new restrictions on their use compared to what voters experienced in the 2020 cycle. 
Unless there's a health emergency, drop boxes could only be inside advanced voting locations and only accessible when those locations are open. Dun, dun, dun. Wow, that's violence. Taking something like ballot drop, drop boxes uh, that were, by the way, previously not sanctioned under the law and codifying them in the law with the minor safety measure of, you know, not leaving them outside unattended 24 hours a day. Well, that's clear, violent voter suppression. But that's not all the violence, I have to admit. The bill will, quote, require voters to provide their driver's license or state ID number or a photocopy of another accepted identification if the elector lacks those. That, my friends, is violence. Asking a minority for an ID is not only clearly violent voter suppression, it is racist violent voter suppression. Ask yourself this. How could someone who isn't white get identification? It's impossible. It can't be done. And the state of Georgia, of course, knows that it's impossible, and that's why they're passing this law. Let's let the completely unbiased people over at the New York Times flagship podcast, The Daily, explain all of this violent racism to us. One big change is that an ID is now required. Basically, oh. anyone who wants to request an absentee ballot will need to show a driver's license or a state ID number what? instead of just doing a signature, which was then matched on, on a file and oh created a host of issues. Mm -hmm. So Republicans argued that bringing in these IDs made it both secure and a little easier. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. At the same time, civil rights groups will point that anytime you add an ID requirement to voting, it normally disproportionately impacts communities of color and poorer communities. So mm -hmm. therefore, introducing identification requirements make it harder for them to vote. Okay, got it. Got it? I got it. Do you got it? Got it. Okay, got it. Got it. Got it. I got it. You got it. We all got it. That's violent violence, isn't it? Hmm. Oddly, though, voter ID is the least controversial controversy in American history. And I mean this sincerely. Voter ID is among the most popular policies in American public discourse. A Gallup poll shows us voter ID uh, is favored overall just by the minor the, the, the slightest of margins, 80 to 19, 80%. That is not a div divisive issue in this country. And it's not just Republicans either. When you break it down by parties, Republicans, yes, 95% support. Independents, 83% support. Even Democrats, 63% support. 63% of freaking Democrats agree with it. But how about minorities? We know this is, an, is, a, is a thing. We just heard about it. It's targeting minorities. They are disproportionately affected. Whenever you hear that phrasing, you know something's up. And of course, uh, we know that uh, African-Americans, uh, Hispanics, Asians, completely incapable of getting a driver's license. However, shockingly, uh, white people favor voter ID laws at, at the clip of 81%. Non-whites all the way down at 77%. Voter ID is not a divisive issue anywhere outside of the media. 
That Gallup poll, by the way, is a few years old, but a more recent poll from Rasmussen Reports found results consistent with Gallup. 75% believe photo identification should be presented before voting, and 69% of black voters supported voter ID. Broken down by party, 60% of Democrats support showing an ID to vote, compared to 89% of Republicans. So a couple points lower on those categories, but basically the same poll uh, several years apart. So maybe minorities, and this could be the thesis here, Maybe minorities are just not aware of how much violent voter suppression they are getting hit with. Is that possible? Uh, no. A joint study from an Italian professor and a professor from Harvard found, quote, using a difference in differences design on a 1.6 billion observations panel data set from 2008 to 2018. We find that the laws have no negative effect on registration or turnout overall or for any group defined by race, gender, age, or party affiliation. But other than that, it's violence. Now, however, I will say this. I haven't even mentioned the most violent thing in this violent voter suppression bill. Get ready, prepare yourself. No person shall solicit votes in any manner or by any means or method, nor shall any person dist distribute or display any campaign material, nor shall any person give offer to give or participate in the giving of any money or gifts, including, but not limited to, here it comes, food and drink to an elector. That, my friends, is violence. They are trying to dehydrate voters to death. Stacey Abrams was right all along. Let's let the New York Times explain this dastardly form of violence to us. So there's been third party groups that will sometimes come and bring food and water to those people who are waiting in line for hours on end in the in the blistering Georgia heat. Hmm. Now, this law would ban those groups oh from bringing food and water no. and other assistance to voters waiting in hours long lines. Nick, that proposal seems very hard to understand as anything other than an attempt to make it harder for certain people to vote. Exactly. And so what? how do the people who proposed that defend it? Hmm. There hasn't been that much of a defense, except that they've tried to say, technically, it's just there's a radius of 150 feet that, you know, this ban affects. And so it gets into this kind of technicality, and that's where the mm. defense has been. But the reality is it's going to prevent help, assistance, and resources from reaching voters who are waiting in line to vote. <laughs> okay, there's so much to unpack, but let's start here. The blistering Georgia heat in November? Really? Am I that out of touch with geography? It seems to me that Georgia in November would be quite nice. And we look at the intranets and we find that that's true. Quote, in November, the average high temperature decreases from an agreeable 73.2 degrees Fahrenheit in October to a comfortable 61.3 degrees Fahrenheit. 61 degrees is scorching heat? And I'm sorry, what, it, what is their defense? It's a technicality. That's what he said, a technicality. Let's look at this technicality. First of all, it's obviously about giving away gifts like money or food to entice voters to vote, which is arguably already against the law. But does it really aim to dehydrate the public into not voting? The bill specifically states 
that they can still make available, quote, self-service water from an unattended receptacle to an elector waiting in line to vote. So the people have to walk to get the water themselves. That sounds like violence. And honestly, what if there is not a water station already set up? Then what happens? That's when people are dropping dead in the 60 degrees scorching heat. Well, this bill will still let a third party give you food or water. So think about this. This whole thing, this whole international controversy about not giving water, they could give you water at the polls, okay, but a third party couldn't do it. Unless, of course, they're not within 150 feet of the outer edge of any building within which a polling place is established, within a polling place, can't do it inside, or within 25 feet of any voter standing in line to vote at any polling place. That's the technicality those dastardly Republicans keep arguing about. You may have to walk 25 feet to get your water, or as much as 150 feet to get your water. Can you imagine the gall of these bastards? Violence! Is there any possibility of this changing? One single vote. Who is this person? Look, I was waiting in line for an hour, but then I thought, you know, I'm parched. But I mean, to get water, I have to walk nine yards in that direction. Damn you, Georgia, I shall not vote. Violence. This is completely out of control. The media is calling this law and others like it Jim Crow 2.0. This is an embarrassing misuse of history and demeans the actual struggles people went through during the civil rights era. I don't mean to go all Game of Thrones on you, but if asking for voter ID and securing voter locations is violence, then I choose violence. I'm happy to welcome to the program Dan King. He's a senior contributor to Young Voices, as well as the co-host of the Some Politics podcast. His new article in The Bulwark is How Joe Biden and Merrick Garland Can Help States with Justice Reform. Dan, thanks for coming on the program. Thanks for having me, Stu. Uh, you're welcome. I, you know, I find you, your, your article is about civil asset forfeiture, and I find it to be a fascinating topic, but it has like the most boring, worst name of all time. It's like tort reform. It's like something you could see is important, but bores people to tears as soon as you say civil asset forfeiture. So for people who every time they see that, they just click on another headline. Can you ex walk people through what this is? Because I think it's unbelievable when people hear it. Yeah, and that's why we went with justice for, uh, reform in the headline <laughs> instead of civil asset forfeiture, because we didn't want people's eyes to glaze over. But basically, civil asset forfeiture is this practice where Law enforcement can take property they suspect is involved in a crime. That could be your car, money you have on you, all sorts of different things without ever charging or convicting you with a crime. And since 2000, the Institute for Justice has found that about $69 billion worth of innocent people's goods have been taken through civil asset forfeiture. 
This is incredible. Can you give me some examples of this? Because there's a lot of egregious examples of regular people going about their business, not even doing anything wrong and having this money taken from them by the government. Yeah, one I like to point to, especially when I'm talking to a conservative audience, is there was a Burmese Christian rock group. They were touring around the country here in the U.S. Uh, I believe that they were pulled over in Oklahoma and the band manager uh, had some envelopes of money and band merch with him. It, it was $53,000, so it was a lot of cash, but it was all money that they had made off of their concerts. It had nothing to do with drugs. It had nothing to do with any illegal activity. He was never arrested. He was never charged with anything. They brought him down to the police station, questioned him for hours and hours, eventually let him go at like some ungodly hour of the morning, like 1 a.m. or something like that, and just sent him on his way. And they kept the money. And until the Institute for Justice stepped in and challenged this in court, Christian Rock Group was $53,000 for doing absolutely nothing wrong. Yeah, and we see that they, you know, often uh, governments will hold on to this for months and years in some cases. Uh, there was a story in Chicago um, a few years ago where a guy, you know, he was doing, he, he did repairs on cars. He would go around Chicago and he had his tools in the back of his, uh, his trunk. The person he's giving a ride to who he was working on his car gets had committed some sort of uh, cry or had drugs on him or something. It was not the guy who was driving. They never said it was the guy who was driving, but they took the car. They took the tools and years and years went by for this guy not to be able to get any of his possessions back. And this is like this has happened thousands of times around the country with no seemingly no way for the an American citizen to push back. Yeah, and the craziest thing you mentioned, Stu, sometimes it's not even the person they pull over. For example, they took a guy's SUV from him because his girlfriend used it to sell $25 worth of marijuana to an undercover informant. So they took his car. He wasn't with her when she did it. And then the city uh, demanded that he pay $2,000 to get his car back. He refused and refused and refused. Eventually, the Goldwater Institute uh, stepped in and helped him out, and he was able to get his SUV back without paying the city the ridiculous $2,000 for something he owns. It's it's just crazy. Uh, and it, like you said, it happens all the time, and people don't know about it. Mm, it really is fascinating. Now, you took this to a different level. I was not aware of this sort of federal version of this program. A lot of states come in, and when people find out about this, a lot of times they're pretty pissed off about it. And states will pass sort of big, splashy bans on this practice or restrictions on this practice. However, in a lot of these states, this just keeps going, except on the federal level. Can you explain? Yeah, there are actually three states that have really, really good protections for civil asset forfeiture, being North Carolina, Nebraska, and New Mexico, where you actually have to have a criminal conviction in order to take this. But because of this program that was created in 1984 called the Equitable Sharing Program, if a law enforcement agency in a state that has a ban on it just partners with any federal law enforcement agency, it can be ICE, it could be DHS, whatever it might be, they can still seize that and circumvent the, the state laws. And we actually saw this happen in North Carolina about a month ago where a nonviolent drug offender was at a hotel. Uh, police broke into his car without a warrant or anything, 
found $16,000 in uh, half an ounce of marijuana in his car. They took that money, they took the marijuana, but because it was North Carolina, they couldn't take it for themselves. So they had to send it up to Customs and Border Patrol so they could basically circumvent this state law. Now, thankfully in this case, uh, uh, the local judge stepped in and said, I'm going to throw uh, all of these town officials in jail if you don't give this man his money back. But now the town, they did give it back, but now they're challenging uh, that ruling from the judge. Yeah, the border control, because there's a tough uh, international border there in North Carolina. People don't know a lot about it. Uh, um, so how how active are states in, in moving against this? Because, I mean, you hear the arguments for it, and they're usually around, uh, it's a good tool for the police, is kind of the way it gets summarized. Um, can you talk about what are, what's, the, what's the other side of this argument? And are, the, are there a lot of states actually moving to stop this? Yeah, you, you tend to see bills get introduced in states um, pretty frequently, and, and they usually have a good amount of bipartisan support because sort of your more libertarian-leaning Republicans and conservatives see this as like the clear due process violation that it is, and obviously Democrats love to talk about criminal justice reform. So it's one of those few things that there seems to be a middle ground on, except for sort of your more establishment people. For example, when um, Bill Barr became attorney general, Mike Lee, who's a very constitutional conservative guy, was challenging him on this and saying, hey, you said for a long time that you support civil asset forfeiture. Can I get you on the record that you're not okay with this and that it's a due process violation? Bill Barr pushed back and called it a valuable tool for law enforcement, but there's been studies that show this doesn't help law enforcement uh, combating crimes at all. All it does is strip innocent people of their due process rights. Mm, it's really fascinating. Now, I am not one that has tons of faith in the Biden administration, <laughs> though. I mean, there it would seem, as you point out, there is a lot of this is one of those things. It just feels like if people were aware of it, we could actually come to some sort of resolution here. And, 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 and there's even middle ground between civil asset forfeiture and the laws you talked about in North Carolina. I mean, at the very least, when you find out the person is innocent, they should get their money back. That's not even guaranteed uh, in this country right now. And we seem to be far away from even securing that. No, that's, it, that's the crazy part. And I'm actually in agreement with you um, that I'm not super optimistic about where the Biden administration will go on this. Uh, it was, the headline was more trying to encourage them on. <laughs> the issue is you look at Merrick Garland as attorney general. Um, I, he doesn't have a very long record on civil asset forfeiture cases, but I was able to find one case he was involved in. And he didn't really rule on the side of due process in that case. Um, it was a record company back when people still drove around and sold CDs and records. Uh, the driver of the van was observed swerving. So he was pulled over. He had $50,000 on him, presumably from selling these records. Uh, law enforcement came in. It was the DEA. They came in and seized the records and the $50,000 because, you know, drugs in this case. Um, and then they said in order for Taurus Records to get this back, they would need to pay $5,000. And Merrick Garland actually sided with the DEA in that case as a, as a circuit judge. So I'm kind of with you there that um, I'm not optimistic about 
what the Biden administration will do on civil asset forfeiture. It really is. These are stories that just don't even seem real, especially in the United States of America. And you'd think the Democrats will be all over this because it's often their constituents. Uh, It's often people who are uh, in uh, minority communities, in inner cities that don't have the cash to pay these giant fines that they require to get their own uh, uh, property back to them. You'd think at the very least they'd be uh, leading this, but it doesn't seem like there is a real appetite um, to do anything about it until people get called on it. Like, it seems like one of those issues that if there is that whatever that critical mass of, of attention to it, people do really step up and say, OK, this is freaking crazy. How do we how do we accomplish that? Yeah, I think the thing is you just got to keep pointing out how absolutely absurd and un-American these stories are, taking $53,000 from a Christian rock band that did absolutely nothing wrong. But to your point, in the House, we almost always see a bipartisan bill get introduced. And actually, a few years ago, um, the one that was introduced by Tim Wahlberg and Jamie Raskin actually made it through the House. And then the Senate, being the ever so deliberative body it is, never took that up for a vote. The Senate never took up a passed uh, ban on federal civil asset forfeiture for a vote. And that would have gone a long way because uh, of that 69 billion that's been taken in civil asset forfeiture in the past 21 years, over 40 billion of that has been from the federal government. So a federal ban would have gone a really long way. Mm, That's interesting. uh, Before I let you go, is this is this a funding issue, essentially? Are Democrats not stepping up on this because they want more money and conservatives maybe aren't doing it because uh, they're trying to be pro-police or whatever? Is that is it come down fundamentally to a funding issue? That's a huge part of it. Yeah, you're right on, especially because in certain states, um, police can keep upward of 80, sometimes 85 percent of the funds they seize. So you've got an incentive there if you're a police officer in a police department to really focus a lot of your time and energy on low level offenses with the hopes of maybe finding some money or drugs or whatever it might be on somebody. And then you can seize, uh, you know, a vehicle or a large sum of cash that can go toward helping uh, that department's coffers. Yeah. I mean, and obviously not every single one of these cases is some innocent person, a Christian rock band. Some of them are criminals, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. This is a due process issue. And we are we are guaranteed that right in this country. At least that was my impression. Dan King, a senior contributor to Young Voices, host of the Some Politics podcast. Uh, You know, Dan, when you if you get some more of these examples as we go on, please come back. This is this is a big issue to me. And I, I feel like the audience, when they hear about these things, they go nuts and rightfully so. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me on to talk about it, Stu, because like you said, it's not something that gets a lot of attention in the media. That's true. That's because of the boring name. I'm telling you, it's the boring name, civil asset forfeiture. <laughs> uh, the article, by the way, is in the bulwark, uh, how Joe Biden and Merrick Garland can help states with justice reform. I, you're trying your hardest here with the title, and I love it. Uh, Dan King, thanks for coming on the program. Thanks for having me, Stu. All right, back in a second. Well, we now know the first really serious challenge uh, for the Biden administration, uh, of course, is the border. And he just gave that to Kamala. No, nothing, nothing to worry about. The president of the United States has a big issue to deal with, pretty much his first major issue. And he's like, you know, you do that. Now, this is an interesting tactic from Biden because it's kind of a way to get rid of Kamala in, in a sense uh, as a as a 
a rival for power because this is a tough issue and can she actually handle this issue i mean i doubt it it doesn't seem like anybody has been able to in a hundred years uh so uh it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out some people are speculating uh, that there's infighting already going on between harris and biden i don't know if i buy that yet we'll follow it for you um one of the potential competitors for the 2024 crown is governor ron DeSantis now this idea of vaccine passports has become popularized um, on the left, and uh, it's been used around the world uh, to some effect. Uh, Israel has made great use of it. Um, but it's interesting to see that it's kind of become a controversial issue uh, here in the United States. It does have a bit of a papers, please sort of aspect to it, which is kind of interesting that Israel has embraced it. But some people say is all that is overblown. It's become a dividing issue, though, among uh, Republicans to be able to kind of say, like, to signal, hey, we're putting a stop to this stuff. DeSantis has been doing a lot of this lately, and here is his comments on vaccine passports. You want the fox to guard the hen house? I mean, give me a break. I think this is something that has huge privacy implications. It is not necessary to do. You know, we're going to have hit three and a half million seniors that have gotten shots uh, uh, sometime this week, likely 75% of seniors. It's important to be able to do it, but at the same time, uh, we are not going to have you provide proof of this just to be able to live your life normally. And I'm going to be taking some action in, in an executive function, emergency function here very shortly. Look, I think I agree with him uh, on the general tone of this. I'm a little nervous about a lot of executive actions that have been coming from the right lately, but I do support DeSantis, uh, generally speaking, on this. I think there's, a, there's an issue here, and this is my hope. The vaccine is working well enough, certainly in places like Israel. We're seeing it work really well in uh, the UK as well. Um, I think we're vaccinating people fast enough. It's working well enough that a lot of this is just not going to be needed. You know, I think by the time it's ready to go, uh, we're going to be at such a low level of virus uh, circulating that I don't think it's going to be necessary. And I know a lot of people say to me, well, that's not what it's about. And I, I, there's a good point. There's a good argument there. You've got to be guarding against these things. I don't think you're going to see red states doing it, though. Uh, there's a real clear dividing line uh, from the people in red states who are like, I don't want anything to do with this. And as Governor DeSantis points out, we're already above 70 percent of elderly people who have been vaccinated. Um, some of them are still in process, maybe, you know, after shot one, before shot two type of thing. But they are they're there. So we're, we're, we're moving this along. The death count is going to be coming down dramatically as we go forward, even if we do see. And I think it's possible that we see one more spike here as far as cases go. I do not think we're going to see anything like the levels of death that we had seen before we started vaccinating people. We'll see how it goes. Uh, New York is uh, saying that they must offer the vaccine to all prisoners immediately. Now, it's amazing because there's a lot of people in New York who don't have the vaccine that aren't in prison. You think kind of like, I don't know, maybe we should give it to the prisoners last. That's hateful, though. I want you to know that's hateful. That what your thought there? Hateful. I mean, it does make some sense to give it to prisoners in that they're living in close quarters and it's not really uh, it's, it's a pretty bad environment when it comes to disease prevention uh, and virus uh, sort of uh, the spread, um, you know, kind of bringing that spread down to minimal levels. Hard to do in a prison. So there have been outbreaks in prisons might be smart to vaccinate people, but it has got to be frustrating if you're just some like normal person who wants to get the vaccine and some guy who murdered eight people gets it before you. Seems a little frustrating, but that's just me. By the way, uh, Governor Cuomo uh, has outlaid the best way to get a vaccine, which is to have your last name be Cuomo. That's how you do it. 
If you're in New York and you just happen to be a Cuomo, darn it, you got testing so quickly. And now you're getting vaccines quickly. You're getting everything quickly. All you got to do is be a family member of Governor Cuomo. Um, the uh, headline, New York coronavirus testing sites were told to prioritize people in Governor Andrew Cuomo's inner circle who were treated like royalty. Um, there's actually a story that uh, Chris Cuomo was specifically favored in this particular uh, instance. And by the way, I should point out, uh, I don't have the mug near me, but it's Andrew Cuomo's awful.com, Chris Cuomo's worst.com. Either one, you're going to get there and you're going to see all the stuff about the Cuomo family. Get load up on it because it's fantastic. And he is awful. Uh, new de details are coming to light about Cuomo's friends and family receiving special treatment early in the coronavirus pandemic when tests were scarce and took a long time for the public. Um, so sources told the Washington Post that people in the governor's inner circle had their samples rushed by state troopers to the lab where they were put on the top of the pile and received their results in a matter of hours, while many other people endured week-long waits. Quote, there is no reason why state testing teams should have been diverted to these people, a person with knowledge of the priority list told the New York Post. They were treated like royalty, the nurse added. I didn't understand why they were able to jump the line. I do understand it. Okay. The last name was Cuomo. And Andrew Cuomo was favoring his family members because he has no conscience. Andrew Cuomo was awful. Dot com. So there's something that happens between the mainstream media and conservatives and Republicans generally where some absurd violation of common sense occurs and Republicans call it out and then the mainstream media accuses them of being obsessed with it. This is a very common thing that has happened a bunch of times. It's kind of the thing that happened with like Mr. Potato Head and Dr. Seuss. Like, can you believe uh, these Republicans are complaining about they're all obsessed with Dr. Seuss? We're not obsessed with Dr. Seuss. It's just this is such a bizarre example of another point we're making that we've decided to express it that way. Same thing is happening with transgendered issues right now. Um, you know, when we make a point about transgendered issues and we say, here's a really, you want to talk about a really crazy example. How about what's going on with kids sports where, you know, boys are coming in and dominating girls in sports. Can you believe these Republicans are focused on girls' sports? This is incredible. These people are sick and twisted. Uh, so why transgender girls are suddenly the GOP's culture war focus? You see those GOPers are obsessed. And you know, it's interesting about this article more than anything else. There's a kind of a run through of all the things we shouldn't worry about. Uh, for example, uh, we have... We have a speculative fear of something that hasn't materialized. Uh, a transgender man, Mr. Strangio, added, they're acting like LeBron James is going to put on a wig and play basketball with fourth graders. And not one LeBron James, 100. In reality, you're talking about little kids who just want to play rec sports. They just want to get through life. First of all, if LeBron James went back and played basketball, he'd still brick wide open 15 footers. It doesn't make any difference if he was a boy or a girl. The same thing would happen. Secondly, it's not about that. Considering if you were a woman, and you had a daughter who was uh, trying to play sports and trying to compete and being beaten by someone who is uh, obviously not of the same gender, you'd have a problem with that. And I think it's a way to, the, to talk about the larger issue in a way that kind of hits home for American families. That's why our GOP members talk about it, because it's easy for everyone to see that example is insane. 
yet you still come out here and accuse us of all these crimes. The isolated incidents that have been filmed or generated headlines, female weightlifting records being broken by a new transgender competitor, for example, make for viral content. Oh, that's all it is, viral content. Bolstered by media personalities with huge followings like Ben Shapiro, Tucker Carlson, and Joe Rogan. Now, all this is sort of standard fare. Uh, for the New York Times or any mainstream media source. Usually what happens is they go to some media matters person and then they, they have a quote on record that explains exactly what the New York Times thinks and they act like the media matters is doing it. But rarely will they say that media matters is doing the actual research for them. I mean, Media Matters is a hardcore left-wing activist group that's been paid by all every left-wing luminary on earth, including Hillary Clinton, who said she actually started Media Matters, was, had a hand in starting it. All, all the big names have funded Media Matters to try to take down right-wing content. But we've crossed the new line here with the, with the New York Times. The issue is much more widely covered in conservative media and often presented with a heavy dose of sarcasm. According to a review, a review of social media content conducted for the New York Times by Media Matters, a left-leaning watchdog, seven of the ten most popular stories about the proposed laws targeting transgender people so far this year were from the Daily Wire, a website founded by Mr. Shapiro. Two others were from Fox News. Combined, the articles were read and shared and commented on six million times, Media Matters said. They're now, like, outsourcing their research to Media Matters, which is totally different than normal when they outsource their research to Media Matters. But don't tell us about it. So a little line being crossed there by the New York Times, always important to note. Uh, federal appeals court has ruled in favor of an Ohio professor who uh, refused to use a student's preferred pronouns. Nicholas Merriweather, a philosophy professor at Shawnee State University in Ohio, filed a lawsuit in 2018 after the school formally disciplined him for refusing to follow the school policy requiring the use of a student's pronouns that match their gender identity, according to the decision. Uh, traditionally, American universities have been beacons of intellectual diversity and, and academic freedom. They have prided themselves on being forums where controversial ideas are discussed and debated, and they have not tried to stifle debate by picking sides. That was the uh, court's 32-page opinion written by Judge Amol Thapar. Um, he's a guy uh, you might not know, but he was on the shortlist for Donald Trump's uh, uh, Supreme Court justices, uh, you know, very highly regarded conservative justice. Uh, and that uh, happened in that Ohio case. Um, a, the, uh, this is an amazing uh, clip. It comes from a former North Dakota Senator Heidi Heitkamp, who's tried to make sort of a career for herself as this sort of, think of a, a, media, Joe, a media version of Joe Manchin. Right. When she was in the Senate, she was somewhat moderate, uh, you know, North Dakota. Obviously, she's not going to be the furthest left. Uh, and she tried to, you know, constantly get on TV. She goes on Bill Maher from time to time. She she appears in a lot of media reports and is a Democrat who occasionally on certain issues will not seem completely insane. But don't be fooled. She's like Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin will not save you. Heidi Heitkamp will not save you. Here's the clip from uh, from Bill Maher that got very weird when talking about Gina Car Carano. Who was the woman in the Mandalorian, what did she do? She liked something? Or... She was a Nazi. Oh, that's different, yeah. right? I'm thinking of somebody else. Well, she's not a Nazi. She, she, no, she was, she's a white. A she's See, involved look at that. You say you're calling her hair. in that. She's <laughs> called other people Nazis. Right. Which she's is the Nazi. Okay, everyone's yeah. a Nazi now. Yeah. Um, she does hang with white supremacists. It's like a Mel Brooks. She does? Movie. 
Yeah. Hangs with white supremacy. I suppose I'm now subject to defamation. I, I don't know. I mean, it depends on what your definition of white supremacist is. That your, also, the goalposts yeah. there changed a lot. You used to be a guy in a Klan hood right. who... But I think, we have a, to, I think we have to be really careful. There's two things the Republicans think they're going to get Biden on cancel culture and this whole Dr. Seuss stuff that's going on where they're reading green eggs and ham, proving that some of these senators can actually read. And, 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 we can't ignore the fact that we got Donald Trump was in part because of political correctness. Uh, unbelievable. Um, that, that one was a, a tad prepared. But again, you see the point I was just making about Dr. Seuss, where they just use this. Oh, they're just obsessed with Dr. Seuss. Oh, they're crazy. Uh, Gita Carano, not a Nazi, uh, not even overly political at all. Uh, she made one post that was mildly controversial, and now she's a Nazi who hangs with white supremacists. No evidence of this. I mean, uh, you know, she's a public figure, so she doesn't have much recourse on this. But it would be fascinating to see a lawsuit because there's no evidence of this. Unless you think Ben Shapiro is a Nazi, which is weird because there's just not a lot of Jewish Nazis, particularly people who are at the end of the most uh, anti-Semitism of any uh, public figure in the world of journalism and news, Ben Shapiro. More than any Democrat, more than any leftist, Ben Shapiro was the target of the most vitriol from the alt-right and from uh, racists online, and he has to deal with being called a white supremacist. Absolutely fascinating. Finally, before we leave, um, Nick, uh, Nickelodeon has a... I don't know if you'd call this a cancel culture. I mean, I don't think they were pressured to do this, so I think there is a line there, right? Sometimes people just think, eh, we don't like, we didn't, we don't, we don't like that episode. So they pulled it off. This is a kid's show. And you could argue uh, that maybe this is over the line. I guess they pulled two episodes. One is the panty raid one. Now, I did not see the panty raid episode of SpongeBob, but that has been pulled off. And um, they've also pulled off another one that was just like about the pandemic, uh, which is kind of you know, just reminding kids about, hey, your life fell apart for the last year. So maybe that's not the best cartoon uh, from the panty raid one. The scene that may have led to the episode's removal could be the scene where Patrick suggests a panty raid, which leads to SpongeBob, Patrick and Mr. Krabs breaking into a woman's house to steal her underwear. It turns out the house they broke into was Mr. Krabs' mom's house. <laughs> the mom catches the three in the act and sends Mr. Krabs to his childhood room for the rest of the night. I wouldn't say it's exactly like the biggest controversy in the world, but it is interesting how these things continue to happen. You know, there's a lot. I've, I've been watching a series recently. I don't want to talk about it because I know as soon as I do, it's going to be pulled off the air. Uh, but like the words that fly around from just like one or two years ago. It's shocking. I, like we have gone really far, really fast pulling these episodes off and erasing real history. It's much better to have a record of what actually aired so we can look back at it and say, you know what? That was a mistake. Here's why it was a mistake. Instead, they just delete these things as if they never happened and they memory hold them for everybody. That's not the right way to do this. And we're going to wind up paying a price for it eventually. Congratulations, you did it. You made it to the end of the show. Make sure to click like on this program. Share it with everybody. Subscribe at BelizeTV.com slash Stu. Uh, the promo code Stu will get you 10 bucks off. Also, Nancy Pelosi pens are still available. We've got a big shipment, and they are going out the door very quickly. But there's still time for you to get your Nancy Pelosi sucks pen. Go to Nancy Pelosi sucks pen.com. Naturally, before we leave, uh, Mark Farron Claude Biart, 53-year-old guy, had a little YouTube show. 
It's on YouTube. It wasn't one of those things. It was one of those things where you can just see his hands kind of, you know, manipulating the food. It was a really good chef. Uh, it became really, relatively popular YouTube uh, program until uh, it no longer was on the air anymore. Why? Well, he got arrested. How did he get arrested? Well, he happened to be um, in the mob. Unfortunately, uh, the police r recognized him not because of his face, because he wouldn't put that on YouTube, obviously, as a mobster, but he, he had tattoos, and the police rep uh, recognized his tattoos. Uh, 355 mobsters have been charged in this, in this uh, case, and uh, I mean, it took three hours just to read the names of the defendants in the case. It's just another lesson to you kids out there. Stay off of social media.